Hold on. And go. And go. Hello, welcome back to Dangerous Rhetoric. This is episode 79. Um, before I jump into it, please like, comment, share, subscribe if you like the content. If you really want to help us continue doing this and having these uh, controversial conversations, we will gladly take your money as well. Cash app, PayPal. Yeah, all uh, that in the description. Links in the description. <laughs> With all of that said, today we are joined by a very special guest, Ms. Sarah Higdon a based transsexual Catholic veteran um, standing up for children's rights and fighting against the groomers and and pissing a lot of people off on Twitter. Welcome, Sarah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. All that's great. Yeah, I, I love pissing people off on Twitter. It's, that's my favorite <laughs> it's the point of Twitter, right? <laughs> like, that's, you know, we all forget. We think yeah. it's supposed to be this wonderful communication. No, we're just supposed to make each other we're angry. We're supposed to make each other angry. But we're, no, we're, we're supposed very... to troll everybody. Everybody's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, everybody's fair game. Just troll. Troll everyone all the time. <laughs> but we're very excited to talk to you because, you know, we've had two previous D-trans guests on our show before. Um, Laura Becker, I don't know if you know Laura, and um, Richie, who goes by Tulip R I know, on Twitter. Yeah, I know Richie. And we've been meaning to get a guest on who is trans and has settled into being trans. So we're very thankful you came on to join us, and we're excited for this yeah. conversation today. Yeah, me too. Maybe you could just start by giving us uh, like what what gender dysphoria is like as somebody who really like you know suffers yeah. with the symptoms. And when did you, when did that start to like manifest for you? Yeah, so for me, um, it's kind of the stereotypical. I guess it's typical of a lot of people that are transsexuals. I knew something was a little bit different about me <clears throat> around the age of four. Um, I knew that I, at some, for some reason, I wanted to be a girl. I had thought and fantasized about being a girl, and I, I didn't know why. I still don't know why at the age of four I thought that that was something that I was drawn to. Um, and so that's kind of where I started. I tried on a dress at four years old. Um, and then, you know, going through puberty was a very confusing time for me because... I was attracted to women, so I'm bisexual, so I'm attracted to women, but then I was envious at the same time. I wish I could, I could like go through the same experience as, you know, go through what they were going through and, and have those relationships and everything like that as, as a girl. But, um, you know, I was able to hide that very well for the most part. Um, it's interesting because I always did throw out hints out there throughout my life. Um, and then, you know, through college, it was, it was kind of the same stuff. It wasn't, um, nothing different, even though I just kept myself busy in college. And I think that's why it, it really wasn't a big thing when I was there. Um, and then I graduated, I joined the army, I got married. I did all the typical stuff that I thought I was supposed to be yeah. doing. Um, and, and it was just interesting because, I, for the longest time, thought that I just had like a cross-dressing fetish. Like that's all that it was. Um, I came out to my ex-wife in 2014 and just as a cross-dresser. And how did, how did your wife respond to that? Um, it was difficult. Uh, that's when we started going to counseling. We started doing a lot of this stuff. Um, and I, I want to say that she probably knew or could see it in me um before i could because 
something about it. Like I was this was like this internal struggle, this secret that I've kept my entire life. It just started just eating away like at my soul. And so I had to tell somebody. Yeah. Person I trust the most was was her. Um, we actually stayed married for a year and a half later, or for a year and a half longer, and got uh, separated at the end of 2015. Um, I, w- I moved to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, um, and that's kind of where I started to really, for the first time, get to explore this side of me. And like within months, I, was, I traveled down to Charlotte, North Carolina to go out dress for the first time and then i would visit atlanta all the time um and in 2017 i got out and what i realized is i was living once i got out and moved to atlanta i started living every weekend um i was going out living every weekend as a woman but i was going to work as a male and so i was kind of like living this double life um but what i realized is that i was most comfortable living as a woman. Um, and so uh, came out to my family, um, like July of 2018. And they were, it's, I mean, it's, it's, they're very supportive. I have a very supportive family, uh, but they still all live up in Michigan. So I don't see them that often, but um, they were supportive. And um, my mom's one request was before I started taking hormones to let her know. And that happened in March of 2019. I kind of figured it out for myself. So if you really look at it, it was like a four or five year process for me to just figure this out that it wasn't just a sexual like gratification fetish. It was actually gender dysphoria that I was feeling like this whole time. Like, and so once I started hormones, then it was, I live, I mean, I was still living like the double life for about seven months more and then i went full-time in november and since then i've just been you know super happy super comfortable with the choices that i've made um and then in march of 2020 is when i started my youtube channel so that's kind of like i've been very public about it almost from the beginning because it seems like this secret and this weight that was on my shoulders for my entire life had just been lifted and so one of the things I tell people all the time is I'm just so open. I have like with having zero secrets in my life, like the anxiety is gone of somebody finding this out. All of this stuff is, is just gone. And so I have zero shame about talking about any of this stuff online. Like people always say, if I, if you know, people are always like, if, if, if you don't want to answer this, this is fine. If it gets too personal and I still have yet to find a question that is like too personal, you know, <laughs> because I, I just, I live my life and I really don't care who, who, uh, who has an issue with it or what, you know, what other people think. And I think that's the most freeing part yeah. for me about all of it. How old were you when you started your transition? Um, so I was, Let's see, in 2017, when I moved to Atlanta, so I got out of the army on my birthday in 2017, my 30th birthday. So I started taking hormones when I was 31. Okay, which is my age right now. So you you started later in life. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I was like 28, I think, when I came out to my ex-wife. I think that's what the math adds up to. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because today now, like a lot of the people that we've spoken to yeah. Uh, well, it just seems that the transition tends to happen later in life. 
And so that it, it makes sense because, you know, in your case, it, it took you a while to kind of figure it out just, you know, through trial and error and experimentation. Yep. Um, so it just boggles my mind when they slap the diagnosis onto children. And it's like, how do you know that those kids aren't just, you know, going through a yeah. phase or something? So I guess that, that's a good lead into, you know, the next thing we can we can ask Sarah here is like, you know, when did you start to become more politically outspoken about like some of the gender ideology stuff that we're seeing and how it's entering the school system and being pushed more and more on the youth. You're a trans person who has an yep. issue with this. So that kind of makes yeah. you, that, that stands you out immediately from a lot of other trans people who are either very silent on this issue or are supporting the um, pushing of this stuff on younger and younger kids. So talk a bit about that. How did you like first, when did that click in your head and when did you decide to speak out? Well, it actually started clicking. Oh, let me see. It was three, maybe four years ago that I started really noticing it taking off in this direction. Um, I have the screenshots at some point. I'm, I'm actually doing an article and writing and doing about to do a video because at that time I was I've been kicked out of three different Reddit groups. Um, that one was like ask trans or uh, yeah, as trans. Um, and that one was because I had, somebody asked said something and I said, uh, trenders do exist. And when the detransition rate skyrockets, it will hurt actual trans people. And they silenced me because they said, just the acknowledgement of trans trenders existing is hateful. Oh. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> And I'm like, well, look what we're seeing now. The detransition rate skyrocketing, and it's actually now conservatives are are hammering us. So it's like, I was right. Uh, the other thing was because I was a trans, I I believe that you have to have gender dysphoria to transition. So they called me a true scum and and all this other stuff and banned me from another group. And then I forget what the other group was, but they were spouting a bunch of commie bullshit, and I said something more you know libertarian and they didn't like that so they silenced me there so it, it's really interesting i saw it about three years ago coming um uh, in 2020 it, my story the reason why i started doing content was i had made i ariel scarcella i became friends with her um online uh, she asked me to do a video for her channel um and i just kind of asked i said absolutely and i said asked asked her real quick and just said do you think I should start a YouTube channel? And she said, absolutely. And so like, I was kind of on that path to getting everything going. And it took me a little bit to actually starting to build this platform that I have now. And it, you know, and now it's starting to really take off with, you know, me being a uh, brand ambassadorship with Outspoken Magazine and, and all that stuff. So it's, it's really been a wild ride a couple of years just speaking out against this stuff. What's interesting is I would have, even probably a year, year and a half ago, though, I would have thought that puberty blockers, I would, I, I accepted the lie that puberty blockers were safe. So it's really been this last year that I've kind of even changed my tone yeah. on, okay, the Dutch model doesn't work. We need to look at something else. Yeah, it seems like uh, the, the watchful waiting approach of like Dr. Ken Zucker, who was, you know, he was the famous Canadian gender specialist who prior to all of this new stuff, you know, he was getting all of the youthful gender dysphoria references. And, you know, he was 
really adamant in maintaining that watchful waiting approach and they fired him from the yeah. clinic. Now, years later, he, he sued them and he was, you know, basically in court, they, they ended up paying him a bunch of money because they wrongfully terminated him. Yeah. Um, but he had, you know, said multiple times in his research that like, you know, 80 to 90% of the kids, both sexes that came to him with dysphoria symptoms, they resolved on their own over time. And a large majority of those children just went on to be homosexuals, which. Well, that's, what's interesting is I used to say that that's the study. So that's the Lisa Lippman study that, um, kind of would say that by the age of 16, they would, they would desist by the age of 16, 80%. But the issue with that study, it was always based on just any and all gender nonconforming kids. So when you look at gender nonconforming kids, and I would, I would say that, so the study was flawed when you're actually looking at kids that are being diagnosed with gender dysphoria. Within the last year or so, we've had the left telling everybody that if you are gender nonconforming, you are trans. Yeah. And so now that study has even more weight. It's actually relevant to the conversation we're having today. So I used to, I used to not like the study, but now it's actually relevant to what we're seeing today. It's yeah. really interesting how it's done that. <laughs> I, think, I think we need to make this distinction here between being gender nonconforming and having legitimate dysphoria because plenty yeah. of kids when they're going through puberty are gender nonconforming. You know, it's, it's that confusing yeah. phase, you know, there are more masculine girls and there are more feminine boys and there's nothing wrong with that. And that's, that's yeah. how we've approached this for a society as a society for a while, we got to that place. Now there's well, I, blurring of the lines between just being gender nonconforming and then automatically yeah. jumping on that and saying, well, they must have dysphoria. Well, I think that's what you kind of look at too, is look at and look and see how many people that are trans are creating this caricature, caricature of what they think a woman is or what they think a man is. That's a little bit different, like these stereotypes and stuff like that. I mean, I just came from the gym. I have no makeup on, everything like that. I am actually more of a tomboy most of the time than anything yeah. else. Um, what's also interesting about my story, so my story is also a little bit different too, because I was more of a straight man. I never thought about myself being with men as a man. So the only time I ever thought about men and fantasizing with being with men was as a woman. I was always the woman in relationships. So I always pictured myself as a woman in that relationship. And so that's where it's a little bit different. There was no way I was just gonna be a gay male. Yeah. Like that wasn't even on my car in the cards for me. Um, so that's a little bit more of, again, that's gender dysphoria showing itself to be like, that's that's a little bit more it's a different like, thing you're you're seeing yourself as a different thing and so yeah it's it's different than me just being like oh yeah i'm, I'm happy being a gender non-conforming gay male when that was never who i was yeah. ever when did you um change your name and what was your previous name if you don't mind me asking well i so one thing that, I, that you you asked me the one question <laughs> <laughs> First question. I'm not, I won't give my old name out okay. of air, um, just because people will use that. Um, well, let's know, talk, about, be that. Like let's that. talk about that concept a bit too, like this idea of like dead naming. So, Jordan Peterson got removed from Twitter. Well, I think he got he didn't get removed. He got like locked out for a bit, right? They yeah, gave him a slap he, on he the got wrist. locked out, and then he refused to you know play the retract the tweet. By yeah. this, you admit guilt. And yeah. this was over this concept of dead naming, and he um, yeah. referred to uh, who was it? Um, Ellen Page. As Ellen Ellen Elliot Page as Elliot. Yeah. 
Ellen Page. He referred to Elliot as Ellen, and that was the tweet that got um, <clears throat> flagged. And he refused to back down on that. So, it, you know, it, it, it initiated a large kind of discussion about this. Like, what about people who aren't trans but just changed their name? Is it, yeah. is it against the Twitter rules for you to then name them their previous name? And, like, where yeah. do we draw the line on this stuff, you know? So... Yeah, I, I actually, I hate the term dead naming in and yeah. of itself because um, in general society, it's like, I, like people that knew me before, um, you know, as my old name, I, I don't, there's, they slip, they get, but they're getting used to it. I, I, I really don't worry about that type of stuff. Um, I don't think that, I mean, I don't believe in censorship and, and all that stuff. Like if I gave people my name and they were using it and they know that it was something that like, I don't go by that. And I cringe when I hear it. Um, I wouldn't try to ban them or censor them, but I also wouldn't associate with them. You know, yeah. like I believe in the freedom of association. Like you can say what you want, you can do all that stuff, but I'm just not going to talk to you. Yeah. Um, and in this situation, I'm just that's not going to give people the ammunition. <laughs> that's the mature approach. I think that is the mature approach. Yeah. And this concept of like needing other people to like validate us, you know, and to validate our existence. So another thing I want to ask about is like the pronouns thing. Like, say I called you he, does that bother you? You know, and, do, and when people, do people still call you he? And when you hear that, does that create that sort of triggered reaction that a lot of other trans people describe? And they consider it as yeah. like, like an erasure of themselves. Well, that's the thing is I don't get... You know, I, I try, I don't let it bother me. I don't like getting misgendered. I don't think any trans person does, but if it happens, it happens. And, and if it's somebody just in general society and they, they call, they, you know, say he on accident or whatever, and they're like, he, and that usually they apologize. Honestly, I'm usually like, don't worry about it. Because the thing is, is if you're calling me he in general society, that just means I'm not passing well enough. And yeah. it's either it's on me to either care about it or not care about it. But natural reactions are people are going to have natural reactions yes. to hearing my voice, for example, my voice is not completely feminine. So if you hear my voice, and you don't even see who I am, then like your natural tone is going to be like might be like, say he, yeah. and it happens to, you know, men and women all the time too like i know i have women who get called he and he all the time like yeah. lesbian friends more bush we lesbian had, friends uh, get called he all the time <laughs> eva, we had eva kurilova on recently and she gets called a dude all the time <laughs> you know exactly and so i don't really uh take too much offense to it, it there is um some of that when it comes to purpose and yeah how they intend to do it. Like if you're intentionally calling me he just to make a point, then again, I'm just gonna be like, whatever, dude, I'm just gonna walk away from the you situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, it's like, it's, it's on the individual to do that. And it's up to me to associate. And it's also on me to internalize. It's on my, it's my feelings. It's like how I react to it is the most important thing. And honestly, I don't care enough about what other people think to even react to that, which is with these activists, it's insane because you, I can't imagine being so just like uptight about all the time. Yeah. It's that yeah. exhausting to like, look for microaggressions. Exactly. Interaction. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it, that's what it would seem like to me. It almost seems like it would just cause you constant anxiety and I don't need that in my life. And, and so I, 
don't take myself too seriously in most situations anyways. So it's like, I, I don't really care. Um, but yeah, I will disassociate if people are just doing it to be, you know, mean and hateful and, yeah. and rude. I'm just like, whatever you guys can say it, you guys have, you guys can do that, but I don't have to stay here and listen to it. I don't have to associate with you. Yeah, no, I, I think it's really interesting because we're still trying to navigate this issue, you know, like really, having the uh, the trans thing come to the forefront hasn't i mean we've always had the you know, trans people i remember back in like the late 80s early 90s we first started doing gender reassignment surgery which is what they called it then um and it was always just sort of accepted as like a very low number of people which and, and again i think true dysphoria is a very very rare thing it's even more rare than homosexuality and to see all these like gender non-conforming kids getting swept up and medicalized, it just, it tickles me the wrong way. And I, yeah. I don't think it's, it's clearly not the same thing. And I'm glad that there's, you know, folks like you and, and, you know, Richie and Laura and Blair White and uh, Blair yeah. White, who are just all yeah. out speaking out. I, I wanted like, to bring Blair up again. I want to bring Blair up. Um, just on the pronoun issue, because we were talking about this on Carrie's show, and I think on our last episode, and I brought this up, but it's a good point. You know, say, you know, say you're Ben Shapiro, and I know Ben Shapiro had this conversation with Blair, and he basically admitted he would use Blair's pronouns in a social situation. Why? Mm -hmm. Because Blair passes. So say I was in a social situation with Blair, and even if I didn't believe in the pronoun things, and it goes against my beliefs to call Blair a she, if I'm in a social situation and other people don't know Blair is trans and I just start calling Blair he, Blair passes so well that that would confuse them, actually. And it would yeah. actually not even make sense in that social situation to use the proper sex pronoun for Blair just for the sake of other people. Yeah. So it's that's how this, you know, it's a complicated thing. You know, like you said, you're you're still trying to pass right and you don't totally pass yeah. yet so it's kind of you have to be realistic about these things and i think a lot of the trans activists it's hard for them to be and what i've noticed is the radical ones want us to play it's more than just the pronouns and like how we address them they they want us to actually in our minds see them exactly as they see themselves and to see them as the equivalent of the sex they are trying to appear as and I guess yeah. the difference between you and the radical types is, you know, you're trans and you're you're upfront about that. You're not pretending to be a, a woman in the sense of a biological woman. You're a trans woman. So I kind of call myself as like the pro prefects movement, like keep the prefects in. That's the yeah, point. I am too. That's the point of the prefects is like to identify your experience as a unique thing, a trans woman's experience, which is not the same as a woman's experience. And I think that's Absolutely. that's the big thing. I think, you know, if we can get more rational trans people to come out and just say, well, hey, look, I'm a trans person, meaning I am not what I'm appearing as. I'm going through this effort to appear that way to then be more comfortable in society. I'm not trying to play this game with you where I want you to, like, suspend reality, you know? Exactly. And I and that's the thing is, like, when you ask, like, the definition, like, what is a woman? I can tell you straight up, it's an adult human female. Yeah. And then I can say, you know what, a trans woman, trans woman has a definition, too. You know, trans woman means a male who has gender dysphoria and, and has taken the steps to live in yeah. society and, and yeah. be presentable as a woman. That's and a trans girl, woman. And, and, and a trans male. Man. Yeah. What's and that? Girl, yeah, an adult human male who is uh, appearing as a female.
yeah and so that's the thing is like i don't appreciate being called a man but i get that i'm adult human human male but i do take i have taken the steps to transition and appear in in a way that is more feminine in, in, in that sense um and it's really interesting because you talked about like you know women and they women are being they, they want to talk about female erasure and like what it means to be a woman like they're trying to erase women and i i try to put this out there and in the same sense because i i believe that's true but in the same sense i also believe that trying to say that trans women are women also erases trans women yeah yeah because it's like i've never gone through you know puberty as a female i didn't grow up like that i you know went through that i've never had a period i will never have a period i'll never be able to give childbirth and so i don't know some of the struggles that it's like to be a woman throughout growing up as a woman whereas women and 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 you know everybody else you don't necessarily know what the struggle is like to have gender dysphoria and what it's like to go through and and not feel comfortable in your own body and then to, you know have to take these steps to transition um and and try to appear in society and yeah. even still maybe not pass and it's so acknowledging it's, 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 it's a different struggle it's acknowledging the uniqueness of your experience and how it differs exactly. from a regular woman's experience and there's nothing wrong with that this is where we have to get to it absolutely and be like you know a trans woman's experience is unique to itself you are not equivalent to a woman that's kind of the point exactly that's why there's the word trans i you know yeah. i wouldn't be a trans woman if i was born with female. I mean, it's just, you know but but it is it, it's it, it's erasure of you know just all what that means and it's like you said i hate the word delusional because i am the exact opposite of delusional i know, know exactly how i was born <laughs> i know i was not born female so like to call me delusional and think that i think that i'm a woman i know i'm not a woman i just have taken steps because I feel more comfortable this way. Yes. You want to appear that way. You want to try to live in, in that appearance for the sake of your own comfort. And look, everyone has a right to that. You know, people, people try to accuse, you know, Brent and I of being transphobes for talking about this stuff in the way that we talk about it for really just trying to get to the nitty gritty of it and figure out the nuance of it when that's not it at all. You know, people accuse us of hating trans people. No, I have compassion, you know, for anyone who's going through what you're going through. I don't understand yeah. what it's like. I can't really describe that. I've always felt like the sex I was born as, you know? Yeah. So I want to talk and try to understand. But the thing is, the radical types don't want to talk. They have no interest in that. They yeah. view asking these questions as like, like, a, like an attack on their very being. And they shut yeah. down and then they and then they just call you names and then no discourse happens. And then we never get to the bottom of really trying to figure out what's going on, you know? Let me No, you're absolutely right. Let me ask you, Sarah, I saw this tweet. I don't know who this person is, but I saw this tweet going around yesterday and it's about um, disclosure. So apparently yes. Kefals is one of the more radical trans activist types. This is a good uh, and the, yeah. the tweet. I think she's, uh, she's had me blocked for months, I think. So I, I actually, so, so you guys know, like all these people that are like now like becoming like, I see them like tweeting with some of these big names. I'm like, 
yeah i've had these these people have had me blocked for months so you know i like i like to welcome y'all to the party (laughs) but this this is an interesting tweet so keffels here suggests that quote trans women don't have to disclose they are trans before having sex with straight men because they are women and uh she follows that up with i've hooked up with straight guys and not disclosed i was trans i'm not going to apologize for it it makes about as much sense as having to disclose you are diabetic before having sex with somebody what um yeah you should disclose that you're diabetic yeah. because what if you go into diabetic shock? Yes. <laughs> so I was. I made the point that I I I had uh, I hooked up with somebody who was diabetic a long time ago, and he did in fact disclose that he was diabetic beforehand because he had an implant. So he had this little device that was attached to him that you know d- yeah. uh, would release insulin as as needed, and. Uh, before the clothes came off he was like hey just a heads up you know i have this thing and you know just be aware of it it's you know you don't yeah which is courteous which is a courteous thing normal you don't want to surprise you know just give him a heads up my point with this is that for trans women to do this it's dangerous dangerous yeah because that's that's what i was gonna say this is one of the stupidest things i have ever heard and i i wish it would just go away because it is important and like you said it's it's dangerous for us to not disclose it's important that we do disclose that we're trans um because they want to complain about you know the high crime rate against trans people which you could discuss that in many different uh ways but do you think it's going to be safe for you if they find out you're not trans and you're, you know, hooking up with a straight, or they find out you are trans and they're hooking up with straight men? It doesn't make any sense. And I have gotten very good at just in casual conversations at the bar, being like, eh, dropping it. I, I know how to work it into the conversation. Be like, yeah, I'm trans too. You know that? And they're like, yeah. wait, what? And then that's cool. And then you just read, you know, you read the reaction based on that, and then that's how you can determine whether or not you take it further. But to hide it, it makes absolutely no sense. And and see, and and I am now post-op. I had surgery in November, and so it's like, even still, there's, I don't want to, I don't, you know, I don't self-lubricate down there. So it's like I need lube so you yeah. still need to that could be dangerous in and of itself just having sex and not being lubed properly yeah you know, that's like a whole thing in and of itself so like not, even if they're not like a dangerous person it's still important that they know like what's going on down there so that they can adjust you know and so they you know have realistic expectations it's also just part of sex in general you're supposed to kind of disclose what each person likes to do and this and that and you get to know the person and and things like that but when yeah. it comes to- this is very much a hookup culture yeah <laughs> mentality right here like uh, i'm just gonna take yeah. these dudes home from the bar and and sleep with them instead of actually having conversations and make sure everything's good for everybody i think it just goes back to that idea that they just they must they must have everyone see them exactly the same as they see themselves in their head. And they can't accept the fact that it's like, look, biologically, I am not the thing I'm appearing as. I'm appearing as the other sex. And instead of just acknowledging that and then telling that to whoever you're going to date so they yeah. know and they're aware. They, well, they you know have- what this is? Yeah. Uh, this, this is shame. They shame. feel shame in who they are which is why they won't disclose it. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of who I am. And so I have no issues with telling anybody I'm trans. And that's why, again, they, they want to be biological women and they're, they feel shame because they are male. And that's why they can't even call themselves male. It's because 
it, they feel like some sort of self shame. And then they call me the self hating trans person because I speak out against them. Yeah. It's <laughs> ironic, right? Is that, 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 yeah. Personal. Yeah. Well, this is the other side so of it. Weird. The other side of it too. You know, we talked to Laura Becker on the show twice. She's been on some of our live streams too. And you know, Laura Becker is the other side of the coin. Laura Becker thought she was a gay man. And yeah. trying to, you know, develop relationships with men who were who were gay men, and obviously, you know, she detranced and and kind of looked back at that and realized, you know, it was was a mistake. But it's an interesting topic I want to bring up because Brent and I have encountered a lot of this on Twitter, especially. Um, and I know lesbians go through it too, but we're speaking from a gay man's perspective right now. And it's it's these trans men who call us transphobic because we have a genital preference which is the term they use which is kind of the whole point of being a homosexual <laughs> that yeah you have a genital preference right like we're not just attracted to what what you look like from the waist up it, the parts down there also matter to us too that yeah. is what we are attracted to we're attracted to the whole of a male figure so to then have these trans men accuse us of of these nasty, horrible things because we don't say want to engage or touch a vagina or touch a, a phalloplasty or something like that. How is this not homophobia? It's like a well, new it is. of it from the left. Yeah, it's all homophobic. Um, but this is what – so I, I think – I mean, a lot of it's very much insult energy that you're getting from, from these people. Like, yeah, it's like, if, it's like if, if you guys are so worried about this, why don't you date each other? Like, why why try to force people that don't want to date you if you can just date each other? Like, or is it transphobic because – you don't want to date each other. Like you won't date other trans people like type thing. I don't know. Um, I personally, I'm bisexual. I actually want to date a pre-op trans person, but I, um, it is interesting because I, I, I think part of it too, some, and some, sometimes you'll get like the, some people that are gay and lesbian that would be like, well, I'm dating a so a, a lesbian might say I'm dating a trans woman because I like her for her mind and everything like that. And I could see that again. It's just it's preference. Even if you you're okay with your partner being trans and being pre-op or whatever, it doesn't make you less of a lesbian. And especially like if you are more of a bottom, maybe it's okay for you. You know, it's it, it works well, for your that, sexual situation. Wouldn't that make them more of a bisexual though? I don't know. Um, maybe, but yeah. they're still kind of dating somebody that presents as female, yeah. you know, or presents as a woman. So uh, it's it's really it's it's up in the air. I don't know. Um, I think it's it's interesting to have these types of conversations because I would say not necessarily because even Blair White has spoken about her boyfriend. Yeah, he's a straight man. Mm -hmm. He may not be a hundred percent completely one hundred percent straight on the Kinsey scale, but he's yeah. it's probably the best thing that that would link up with who he is you know like he's a straight man that likes trans people type thing and so i think, I, I think that it may not it, it wouldn't make him bisexual because he wouldn't date another man because yeah. he likes the look of a woman but um it, it's what that's what's really interesting to me but when we're looking at to me, though when we're looking at just from a biological yeah. perspective you know technically blair and her boyfriend together that is homosexual sex yeah technically yeah Right, because you're technically, you're, yeah. technically yeah. males, right? But <laughs> I'm speaking on those terms, and I think, but it is important to kind of make these distinctions because yeah. if we don't, 
doesn't that erase homosexuality in a sense? Like it is well, a right. specific thing. No, you know? but Sib, I don't know. I don't. I would. I would know if I would call Blair White and her boyfriend, you know, the same thing as you and me. No, I mean obviously I would not. But what I mean is, you know, just from a biological perspective, there are two sure, males. If you strip yeah. everything else away, there are two males, and it's homosexual. Yes, but that's, yeah. that's almost being like it's almost being like a little too reductive because when it comes to transsexuality, there's just there's too much nuance yeah. there. That's well, it's not right. applicable. I think, yeah. I think it's, a, it's a fair term, nuanced situation. Yeah, I think the term pansexual. I think pansexual is an interesting term. Just to try to figure out a category of say someone who does not look at those things at all. But and see that wouldn't, but that it. wouldn't, yeah. that wouldn't work for Blair's boyfriend either because he's specific to like female presenting individuals. Hmm. So he's not pan and he's not bi. So it, yeah, I don't, it, but he's not. These are not hard categories. They're yeah. more, like loose which which is why it's interesting because i i've with the whole when you start talking like the whole lgb drop the t type stuff and i go well you realize like any relationship i'm in whether it's with a man or a woman it's going to be considered a gay relationship by some portion of society yeah Yeah. you know so it really doesn't make any sense when you're really talking about like that because if i'm dating a man it's going to be considered a gay relationship i'm dating a woman it's going to be considered a lesbian relationship yep depending on who you ask in society. So it's not like this clear cut thing. So it's I'm like, well, and I'm bisexual, so it doesn't really matter anyways, but, you know, but it is interesting what you're talking about because that is the whole idea of queer theory. So queer theory absolutely is there to erase um, the original LGB and transsexuals because queer theory is based in postmodernism. Yeah. And, you know, postmodernists don't believe in absolute truths. And so they don't believe in homosexuality. It's everybody should be dating everybody and it shouldn't matter who you are. And so that's why you're seeing the erasure. That's why I I always talk about the separation is really between, you know, the non-binary queer plus because they are actively trying to erase the original LGBT. That's true. Yeah, because the T, it's like you have to have a binary in a sense because that's the point is you're going from one to the other so there is a binary yeah now if you read my article that was in human events uh last week maybe two weeks ago now i talked about that when the american uh psychologically psychological association changed the definition um and it changed from transsexual to transgender that's when a lot of this happened and that happened in 2012 and they changed the definition to be anything that does not align with your um your given sex so if you're if you're anything that doesn't align with your given sex, then you're trans, and so that's where a lot of this co-opting happened of the transsexual label, and where you don't have the binary trans people, and that's, and that and that becomes the big issue because, um, and then they call transsexuals transphobic because we do believe in a binary system. <laughs> it's really, it's really wild how they've kind of taken over and they've co-opted the T. Uh, yeah. uh, to mean all this, even though like the definition of um, gender dysphoria has remained the same. Um, yeah. The American psychological association changed it to trans transgender and that's changed everything. Hmm. Do you want to go into your article a little bit, Sarah, and just tell us like summarize? Yeah. It yeah. So just basically the big thing about it, and I called it quicksand because, um, and I, I, what I did is I went back to, um, if you notice know sunk cost fallacy, a sunk cost fallacy is basically this psychological 
event that happens usually it's talked about and in like investing and stuff something like that but it's like as soon as you make an initial investment into something um it's it's harder to get out of it so investors will make will invest into a stock they'll start losing money and instead of pulling their money out which would be the better thing and just cutting their losses they're like i've already lost too much money in this i got to keep going with it and so that's kind of where i looked at that in terms of gender transition at the point of you know a child being uh, coming out as trans and changing their name and pronouns or anybody coming out changing their name and pronouns and telling people that they're trans that is an initial investment that you can't you can't put it back in the bottle so once that happens and and depending on what happens like parent you might have you might deal with um you know unaccepted parents that aren't accepting, you might lose friends, you, you know, things might happen. And, and, and so that makes that investment even more for you coming out as you go down deeper into the cycle of transitioning. So you start taking hormones or you take puberty blockers. Like, I mean, that's the whole reason why hundred percent of the people that start puberty blockers go on to HRT. It's not like, like, because they've already started medicalizing themselves. Yeah. And then once you go on HRT, then there's stuff that's non-reversible. You know, you go on to HRT and a male on HRT will be sterile after three months usually. If you started puberty blockers um, as a female, um, it, you will, and you go through, so you start puberty blockers and then go on testosterone, that'll sterilize the child as well. And then you start getting into surgeries. Once you have surgery, that's not re completely reversible, like no matter, you know, which one it is. And so those are just an, just another investment, another investment, another investment. And so when you finally are able to look clearly, that's why you're seeing a lot of detransitioners come out. And that's why you see a lot of it's, but it's, it was so hard for them to finally be like, I am not trans. Yeah, and, and so I, that yeah. everybody's like, you'll, you'll hear parents sometimes say, and you'll hear, you'll hear parents say, well, we accepted you as that. And it's like, no, you can't, you can't go back on this now, you know, like type of stuff. And it's like, and so sometimes with these liberal parents, especially, it's like, they're almost, they're so gung ho about it. And it's like, these kids don't have a chance because their parents are so gung ho. And it's almost like they're disappointing their parents when they detransition. That's a really interesting way to put it. And, and obviously, you know, kids want to please the adults in their lives, especially their parents, you know, they want, they want yeah. attention, they want to be liked. And if the adults keep reinforcing a particular thing and responding to it in a positive way like that, yeah, of course the kid is going to just go along with it. Yeah. This is yeah. something specific that I noticed with um, drag children the drag kid phenomenon uh there was a oh, man it's, <laughs> yeah. it's similar you know Seriously. in a way because they're not they're not medicalizing these kids but they are still you know having them cross-dress and putting them on yep. display and a lot of time there's a financial aspect to yeah. it because the child will be you know a professional performer you know they'll be engaged in yeah. media or for events or whatever um and you know something i noticed was that in in one particular drag kids case uh, he's got a video going online saying how he was watching RuPaul's Drag Race when he was two. And that was, you know, his moment when he just, he knew. And I was like, sweetie, you were two years old watching your, your parents hoot and holler and cheer for <laughs> Drag Race. You saw that your parents were doing that for the queens, and you're like, "Oh, in order to get that response yeah. from my parents, I just have to do what be like doing. that. Yeah, just be like that." And, and yeah. it's not even a conscious thing for yeah. children; they just do. Let's they do just, it, yeah. Well, 
That is what's interesting too, because I did a reel about one of the drag, like the kids at drag shows, and like the child was walking with the drag queen, I think, in this one. And I had said, like, what did they just teach that child? That people will pay you money for your body. Yep. That yeah. is what you just taught that child. It's the same as taking a kid to a strip club. Yes. In a lot of ways, we take them to a drag show. They will hand you money for showing your body. And that is dangerous. Yeah. Um, have you guys seen the the documentary Transhood on HBO? No, we have not. No. I'll make a note. It's yeah. interesting because it is one that's very well done. Even if they might have been pushing a little bit of a bias, it's very well done the way that you get it. Because one of the it was like the youngest person. They followed these trans these trans kids over the course of like four years, and a couple of them you can tell probably have legit gender dysphoria like that's the way that's what the way that they came across to me right and then there was one who was four years old and ended up desisting by the end of it and the mom did a complete flip like she was all in on the on the trans stuff and became like this super anti-trans person because she, she's like well my son didn't do this so we're just gonna like she just didn't believe it was a thing anymore and so she completely became the exact opposite of of what it was and th didn't think trans people really had you know gender dysphoria was a thing and then there is one activist mom in there who it's like i don't know if that child um is it, it could just be sunk cost fallacy in there and they would be one that would disappoint their mother if they did come out as as you know um if they desisted so it's 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 a good documentary i think it's try it was trying to show like the positive aspect but it ended up showing some of the negatives as well so i think it's uh it's an interesting watch for everybody if you if you want to if you take it at face value you know totally no i just uh i'm i found it and i'm gonna I'm that's gonna what we, we need more balanced look at this stuff though and you know this is why yeah. we want to bring you on the show and to you know let people know like yeah there are also trans people who've settled into their transness who agree yeah. with this stuff you know that we're talking about in regards to the kids yeah. to protect the kids you know it's not that I don't know, but and I don't think trans kids is like a thing, you know, not at least until yeah. you get to like puberty. And then I think once you're beyond puberty and if the dysphoria is continuing, then I think, you know, we start addressing this stuff. But even then there are people who, you know, you transitioned late. We talked to Richie, Richie transitioned yeah. in their like 20s and still detransitioned. So yeah. it's not like a cut and dry thing either when it comes to the age thing. Like it's the approach I think we have to change. Maybe yeah. go back to this watchful waiting model more and stop pushing the pure just affirm, 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 affirm approach, which I think is dangerous. Yeah. I absolutely think you're right. I, I actually think we should. And this is what I kind of pointed out in that article, too, is like we need to. Not necessarily, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say the word celebrate, but almost be. Uh, society needs to just be like, okay, gender non-conforming kids, that's cool. You want to yeah. wear a dress or a boy? That's cool. We need to be like, that should be what we should be looking at. Like, okay, cool. You're you're a boy that likes to wear dresses. Like that used to be, you know, a little bit edgy, but now it should be just be like, okay, cool, whatever. But sometimes you don't even see that. It's like the same people that, um, and I'll, you know, some of the people on the right will start, will, you know, attack the trans kids for a little while. And then they'll say something like, Oh, but gender non-conforming boys are, you know, gender non-conforming kids are a little bit weird too. Like, and that, and that, that doesn't help their cause. It doesn't, you know, because yeah. it's not given, it's I not given the option. Matt Walsh, I've seen, has been criticized for this too, of just being too, you know, rigid in his traditional approaches of how, you know, gender should be 
expressed yeah. and manifested, right? How boys and girls should be. Um, you know, despite despite the work that I think he's doing is beneficial and getting people to look at this, I can see the criticisms against him and, and how, you know, the right also I think needs to become a little more open minded on the subject of gender nonconformity. Yep. And, you know, that personality, you know, is just like Peterson said it in Matt Walsh's documentary. You know, what we're seeing is like there's there's two genders. Right. But there's infinite amount of personalities. And that's what we're seeing when we see more feminine boys or more masculine girls. We're seeing a difference in, in personality. And there's nothing wrong with that. We, we have yeah. to get you know, we have to get to a point where we can acknowledge there's nothing wrong with that. But also, you know, dysphoria is a thing too, and that's not that yeah. to be able to kind of distinguish the two. And we need to stop like pushing medicalization. Like that's the biggest thing is the medicalization. That's where I push a lot as well, because I mean I'm very very libertarian. I think once you're once you're an adult, you're over the age of eighteen, you can do whatever you want with your body. You should be able to take hormones and have whatever surgeries you want. Like that's should be like no question. But kids should be off limits. Like. Yeah especially before the age of consent. Like I, I, I find myself kind of in the middle um, going back and forth on what the age should be because as a male to female, I can see, you know, how somebody might benefit at the age of 16 if they're male to female. But I also don't know if a female to male is going to benefit at the age of 16 with taking testosterone. Like they can wait because testosterone, but it's just, it's because testosterone is so powerful. Yes. testosterone will erase like everything so for a male to female like you're going to grow up go through puberty and there's going to be some things that you're going to have a hard time with later on like height size and everything like that like that's going to be an issue whereas a female to male you go through you go through female puberty the only thing you really can't erase is like your chest and then you can just you can have surgery for that like that's the only thing that you really can't erase with testosterone you might be a little bit shorter and that's about it, you know, but there's, you know, short Kings out there, which, you know, it, but it, it shouldn't be as big of an issue. Um, so that's where I guess I come off a little bit. I don't know what the right answer is from 16 to 18, but definitely nothing before the age of 16. Like yeah. we have the age of consent for a reason. And we know that that's where we say that kids can consent to a number of things, you know, I think, so I, think I don't know. Teen legal wise is a fair cutoff point just because, you know, you can elect to get like basically any other type of surgery once you're 18. Yeah. Um, but it's the approach I think needs to change, right? So legally we can cut it off at 18, yeah. but we should have changed the affirmative affirm approach still. Because again, lots of people are transitioning after 18 and they're still detransitioning and regretting. Well, the thing about me with 18 is again, I, 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 th I think that if you're 18, you should just be able to go and get informed consent. And that's all it is. But it's informed consent is, is a thing for a reason. Like I said, I'm very libertarian. So it's your body, your choice. You do what you want. No, um, we, I we think agree. at that point. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want the state to come in and like determine what people can do with their body. You know, I'm. Oh, exactly. We're not authoritarians of that type. But yeah, the, the culture is what needs to change the culture needs to change and then if we are going to enact some laws then we should at least have a fair cutoff point and perhaps yeah. 18 is a fair cutoff point um and I, I, I agree with that yeah. state really by young. state you know yeah. if the state wants state to have state, a yeah. lower a lower age then so be it you know yeah. it's, well, and it's absolutely to consent in general but the, what i think we're seeing here is i don't even think it's honestly that you know they're trying to help 
young trans people adjust better. I think they're just using trans people as a smokescreen and a shield in order to sort of push this like child sexual rights agenda yeah because we're yeah. seeing these ideas now especially in california for example they're making you know they want to make it down to 12 years old the child can consent to all kinds of surgeries and medication yeah. and all that such uh, all that stuff and like the next step like if a child can consent to having parts of their body permanently and irrevocably altered like there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to consent to sex yeah, like it's a slippery slope yeah. Well, cause it's a very slippery, especially sex, when you're talking kids. Sex is less invasive than having, you know, a permanent surgery. Yeah. yeah. So uh, if we get, you know, and, and this is where it comes, you know, grooming kind of comes in, you know, not only are individual children being groomed, but we also as a society are being groomed by having these ideas, you know, in a, put forth in a, you know, oh, we're just trying to help trans people. We're trying to help trans kids. And then it's like the next step is, oh, you know, this is like, you know, if they can consent to that, they can consent yeah. to this. They have autonomy now in all things. It's yeah. just this progressive, well, you know, series of exposing you to what, it, you know, what's acceptable today so that, you know, what is unacceptable today is going to be acceptable tomorrow. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting because um, you're right. You, you, you said it, you nailed it on the head when you said that they're using us as a shield. Uh, but it's not even just it's not even just the trans community. It's the LGBT community yeah. as a whole. Like I don't know if you guys saw the, what I had going on with the uh, this library in Louisiana, in a very conservative area in Louisiana. That's what I was gonna say. It's everywhere. So yeah. this library, all they wanted to do was move this basically like sex manuals out of the young young adult section, which actually went down to age eleven. So they basically these very graphic stuff move that to the adult section so if an, if a parent wanted to get it for their kid then that's on them that's that's a parent's choice to be able if they want to teach them about sex and stuff like that because that is should be the parent's responsibility and remove, remove direct access from the kid yeah and so um they were trying to say it was censorship it was all this other stuff they're like no we're just moving this over here and if you look at this and 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 the person who was calling for censorship she literally she said i'm tired of this and it, and and use the lgbt like trying to suppress lgbt stuff and i go this has nothing to do with us stop using us as a shield because sure. it's it, it do not like all you're doing is harming us because yeah. you're putting this on us and in this manual it had straight pictures it had like one of the pictures i showed and i had to blur it out because i would have been, been banned from social media it was it was a male with female and it was like that's not gay you know like still nothing to do with us stop using us as your shield to push your radicalized agenda of that's harming children yeah they do the same thing with the sexual education of children. You know, they oh, we just want to tell the kids uh, yeah. that you know the gay people oh and lesbians, just that they exist. That's no, that's it's, not, it's, it's not. what you're doing. Clearly more. And frankly, no, I don't you're care if little kids know if I exist. Don't really care. <laughs> it's easy to know that you exist, and it's up to a parent to teach their kids tolerance, yeah. right? Um, it you don't need to be teaching this. And honestly, in terms of like sex education. I don't think that I think that like literally sex ed should be about biology, yeah. like, you know, teaching girls what's going to happen during their period or, you know, teaching boys what's go what's going on with their bodies, not teaching them like 
the physical act of sex that is on the parents. <laughs> yeah. We don't need no instructions. Like I, there was one thing they were telling like kids about like anal sex and yeah. oral sex no. and, and kinks. And I'm like, why do children need to know they this? Don't. Like figure what, it that was the, the it book out. that they, the book that they had had sex toys in it. And then the one picture I showed you can actually start reading it. If you pause this, uh, this reel that I did, it's like you can see it's talking about how to stimulate like the clitoris and stuff like that because and it's like kids don't need to know this stuff. This is porn. <laughs> like this was a literal sex manual. And you said <laughs> it was in the young adult section that allowed kids as as young as eleven. Eleven was was the youngest in that section. Yeah, That's it's like no, this needs this should be in the adult section. Like again, yeah. if if adults want to buy this or or check Take this out. out and be like, hey. This is what you should be knowing for sex. Like having the birds and the bees talk with their child as a resource, and that's fine. But it shouldn't be, like you said, direct access to these kids to be like, hey, look at this. This is porn in our section, you know, like when we were young and got our hands on a Playboy or whatnot. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really ridiculous. And then they, they come at you with all these accusations of, you know, censorship and book burning. And you're like, no, sweetie, we're yeah. just moving the books from just one section to the back. next. They're the literal censors. They are the ones that want it, that want, that tried to get Abigail Schreier's book, um, Irreversible Damage. They tried to get Deborah So's End of Gender. They tried to get Matt Walsh, uh, Johnny the Walrus. They wanted, they tried to get those completely removed from Amazon and all these different stores. Yep. They literally tried to ban those books. And now they're the ones trying to use the book banning when we're just trying to get it removed from children's libraries. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's funny too because like we're not really banning nobody's trying to ban these books. We just want them removed from you know school libraries or from public yeah. libraries where they're you know like in a children's you know children's section. You know nobody's trying to ban them from being bought at the store or like taken off of Amazon or any of that stuff. Yeah, we're the last. Yeah, if parents want to books, yeah, if parents want to go buy those books for their kids have at it but it shouldn't be in a school library or school textbooks you know type stuff that's all it is it's not banning anything like they're the ones that like i said they're the ones that actually want to ban books <laughs> yeah it seems like a lot of times people on the left or on the on the leftern side of this argument they tend to lie you know they they manipulate the language they distort the reality of the situation in order to emotionally manipulate the audience to into agreeing yeah. with them. I'm also I'm wondering now too, you know, how many of these <clears throat> people hearing about the story and railing against it, just oh my god, they're censoring books, they're censoring books. How many of them actually know what's in the books? You know, the contents of of the books. They, they don't. They don't. So like this, um, the person who's now being sued for defamation by the library person, uh, he <laughs> carries this book around with him now. And so when people are kind of like come up to him and ask him about something, he just shows them the book and they're like, Oh my God, like yeah. what is this? So then they turn into, it was, it was interesting because he said in a radio interview, um, like the day before they had me on the radio, um, in Louisiana, he, he said on the radio interview that he started reading out of the book, some of the stuff in the book. And then they wanted to have him arrested for basically like telling like reading it because yeah. like and it's like yeah and this is in the kids section that's kind of the point that's you know point, yeah. um it's so funny yeah. it's it's so um but you're right the left loves to manipulate language i mean the right does it too but like the way that they made it like the don't say gay bill in florida <laughs> it's they they named it the don't say gay bill again to use 
LGBT people as shields when it's really just a parental choice bill. Like, that's honestly, it. you do not be talking to my kids about sex. Like, you do, you shouldn't be talking to other people's kids about sex. Like, you know, at all. Period. Well, there's still people who think that you can't say gay yeah. in in the state of Florida, and not just that. They, they <laughs> read the bill, and it is only freaking seven pages. And I see them, and, and they yeah. keep saying like, "Oh, this bill is going to force them teachers to out these kids to their parents and put them in danger." There is a clause in the bill that says that they that the school is allowed under specific circumstances that are that I forgot how they worded it but that there would be I guess a reasonable doubt or concern that the child could be put in danger either through losing yeah. um losing like getting kicked out of their house or being yeah. put in physical harm if the information was disclosed to the parent and that in such cases they are allowed by discretion to not disclose it so that is yeah it's there it's to in the bill Protect in the say very extreme circumstances where a kid might have a very um, non-tolerant parent at home who they absolutely can't tell. But the point of the bill is simply to establish a different environment now in the schools where you are not allowed to encourage the kid to leave the parent out of the process. The approach is right. different. You have to encourage the kid to try to include the parent in the process. Well, and my biggest thing, and they could have put this in there too, is like, it's like, if this child, if your, if your argument is that, you know, some parents aren't accepting and that might put that child in danger, then I think you have other steps you have to take Yeah. because you're, you're knowingly now putting a child, knowingly allowing a child to stay in a dangerous situation, you know, with dangerous parents possibly. Now, what's interesting about the Florida bill too, is it was kind of sparked on you know, it sparked because of a situation where a school hid a child's social transition from the parents uh, because they had Catholic beliefs. Like yeah. He was like a Catholic pastor. They hid the social transition. The, the child attempted suicide twice um, because of it. Never got the mental health, proper mental health care that they should have been getting because that's why you tell parents so that they can get their child that proper mental health care. And so uh, I think it was a she, she uh, attempted suicide twice and thankfully they, uh, she was not successful. And now the parents know and the parents are like, we are very accepting open parents. Why would they, they, and so now they're suing the school. And so that kind of sparked, that was, that happened like last January. And that's what kind of was the, the, the spark that lit the fuse of the parental choice bill in Florida. It, it's messed up because it's like, you're not even giving the, the parents a chance to try to understand and to be a part of the process yeah. you're just leaving them out and just automatically assuming oh well they're definitely not going to like this and they're definitely going to hate me and look the kid might be reporting that too but the kid is yeah. going to be emotional the kid might might be perceiving a bigger threat from the parent than might actually be there you know yeah but and and think about this too it's think about how so now you have a secret that is out there and, it's, and you think that your parents won't react good to it. And so now what happens every time your parents are interact with one of your teachers or goes to a um, you know parent-teacher conference, think of the anxiety that that causes. Yeah. What, wondering if your parent, if your parents go around anybody that goes to school with you, now you have anxiety that they might run into somebody and then that you get out. 
Yeah. Your secret's out there, so you can get out of that anytime. And that has to cause a tremendous amount of anxiety in anybody. I can only imagine how much anxiety that would cause cause in somebody like me who would be it would it would, I, I don't know how you how you would live like that. And yeah. so I think that's part of the biggest issue too. It's like hiding a secret like that causes anxiety and, and it's not good for kids. Yeah, not, not to mention the fact that the uh, these are this is a population that is naturally higher in tendencies towards depression, anxiety, suicidality. So the last thing that we should be doing as interventions are things that are going to increase those as opposed yeah. to alleviate. Yeah. Them. Yeah. I mean, we know that 80 they, they do say in some of the studies, they show that 80 percent of, uh, you know, the suicide attempts could be alleviated with um, accepting parents. But the point is, if you're hiding it from parents, you're not even giving them the opportunity to be accepting. Yeah. So what you're doing is actually promoting uh, this, yes, you know, dangerous behavior. Yeah. Personally, if I were a parent, I would want to know if my kid is experiencing something that is legitimate dysphoria. And it, I mean, obviously I'm not going to rush them through a gender clinic or something, but I would want to know so I can, you know, try to be there for them, understand, figure out what is going on with them and, and help them. And I, I think most parents would feel that way. I don't think they would just automatically throw the kid out, you know, and I think it's terrible that they don't want to even give parents a chance to, to try to understand yeah. and be a part of the process. It's, it's not right. I absolutely agree. Yeah, well, I guess we're going to have to wait and yeah. see how it resolves. Hopefully, there will be more parental rights bills coming down the line. We're also seeing a lot of school choice bills yeah. coming out of places like Arizona just passed this major school Love choice. It. Yeah, there's some pushback. I guess we can kind of end on this note and you know, I'll ask Sarah, like, what do you think we should do from here? Like, what other steps do you think we can take to protect kids, but still, you know, advocate for trans adults to be, you know, treated with respect in society at the same time? No, I think that's what you have to do. You have to separate it and say, you know, we, it's not that we hate trans people. We think that adults should be able to do whatever they want. Um, we should be looking at, we should be really coming together and fighting against the medicalization of children and saying, if they are trans when they when they get to an uh you know of age then we support them uh we support them and, and we also support them if they are going through gender dysphoria we support their mental health and stuff like that um allow them to explore and be you know gender non-conforming and see how that works out like you said the watchful waiting approach should be should be pretty prevalent um you know we need to be working on psychologists so they're they're not you know they're these activist therapists need to kind of uh, be put in their place like we need uh, but it's society that needs to be kind of looking into these issues and it's parents that need to be standing up it's women that need to be standing up at the erasure of women it's um, trans women need to start stepping out of their stealth bubble and talking about how this is affecting them because it's hurting us just as much as it is a lot of other people because we're getting this perception created of us that that it's not the accurate way to be and and i think i would hope that most people see that and so but the first step is be like hey trans adults you guys are good and we just we focus on you know the medicalization of children and you know and then trying to make society realize like nobody in the lgbt community agrees with 
the sexualization of children that we're seeing either. Like we, sh we, sh it's a very small portion of our community, and and most of it is just the allies. A lot of them are just allies, these woke allies that are trying to push this on us. Yeah, and and I think so I, I think that's I think where we go with it. Straight women. Yeah. And look, I, I do think a bunch of those allies mean well. You know, I do. Yeah. But as they say, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You know, you, you could mean well and have very good intentions, but just lack the knowledge and the awareness. And you think you're doing good, but really you're doing more harm than good. So, you know, I hope some of those parents, if they listen to this, you know, have at least reassessed their approach to this. And, you know, maybe won't won't be so afraid to like ask some questions like to their kid, but also to the psychologist question it. Like you talked about psychologists, they need to be put in their place. They need to stop with this affirm, affirm, affirm thing. They need to, yeah. it's not a psychologist job to affirm you. Jordan Peterson said this in Matt Walsh's documentary. It's not. Yeah. Their job is it's to exact, really, exact opposite. <laughs> it's, opposite. it's to question. It's to get down to, to what is really the issue. What is going on with yeah. you? And they're really trying to get to the bottom of that. And I think if more psychologists approach this in that way, we would be better at really weeding out like who's just going through a weird puberty and is just gender non-conforming and trying to figure themselves out, and who legitimately has dysphoria that it's 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 to the point where it makes their life unbearable. And then we approach approach that right because we can then identify it yeah absolutely all right sarah thank you so much for joining us um remind everyone where can they find you yeah so uh thanks you guys for, again for having me on so you can find me my website is sarahigdon.com um you can also just on twitter sarah higdon underscore it's also the same on instagram um and I have links on, on my website, so you can pretty much do that. On YouTube, it's just uh, youtube.com slash Sarah Higdon. So um, any of that stuff. And But yeah, links all over my website. Yeah, I'll put links in the description so they can find it too. Awesome. This was a great conversation. I, I definitely learned a lot, and I appreciate the time that you, that you spent with us. Yeah, thank That's you right. so thank much, you Sarah. And I Later. will end the recording yeah. here. All right, guys.